This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, March 11, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. Proposed rules by the IRS would chill a great deal of speech from some of the most respected activist groups in the United States. It's hard to find someone to defend the new rules governing 501c4 organizations. David Keating, president of the Center for Competitive Politics, argues the job of deciding what speech is allowed and what isn't shouldn't fall to the IRS. Well, the IRS is uh, what they've technically proposed is called a notice of proposed rulemaking, uh, NPRM, the lawyers like to say. And what the IRS has done is proposed a new set of rules to guide what is the definition of political activity uh, under the Internal Revenue Code. And not surprisingly, given how they define political activity, that's caused a firestorm of opposition. Uh, You not only see average people uh, responding, but you see organizations that span the political spectrum, from labor unions to progressive groups to Tea Party groups uh, to think tanks uh, to the Center for Competitive Politics uh, and the Institute for Justice, among others. So everyone is... Uh, thinks the IRS has gone way too far in defining what counts as political activity. This is something that the IRS has, if I understand the law correctly, no jurisdiction. If we if we think of what the FEC is supposed to do, how does the IRS get the ability to dictate what what is uh, this political speech? Well, uh, I mean that's a great question. The what the IRS would say is Congress passed the Internal Revenue Code. They set up uh, a portion of the code governing tax-exempt organizations. And there's many different types of tax-exempt organizations. For example, the Cato Institute and places like the Salvation Army and so on, uh, educational groups are 501c3 charitable organizations. Those groups get a tax deduction or the donors to those groups get a tax deduction when they make a donation. A lot of the other groups, the ones that are in the news from this rulemaking from the IRS are 501c4 social welfare groups, 501c5 groups, which are labor unions, and 501c6 groups, which are trade associations like the Chamber of Commerce or the NFIB or the Realtors. Now, those groups, People don't get a tax deduction for giving money to those organizations, generally speaking, although people, uh, a a company that gives to a chamber will get a business expense for some portion of the the, uh, donation or the dues. So the IRS views, uh, then there's also another section of the tax code called Section 527, and those are supposed to be political organizations. Things like parties, political action committees, and candidates are Section 527 groups. So the IRS has been given the job by the Congress to figure out which group goes in which box, and that's what they would give as the justification for figuring out what's political speech. All right. So the key term in this proposed rule is candidate related political activity. Right. What can that what can that term mean narrowly? What could it mean broadly? Well, the way the IRS has defined it is breathtakingly broad, and that's what's generated such a firestorm of opposition from virtually every group on the political spectrum. So they include things uh, which, you know, obviously would include things like a, a urging people to vote for or against a candidate. I think everyone agrees that's political activity. But once you get beyond that, that's where the IRS gets into trouble, Uh, although some groups do think they should go beyond that. 
Uh, so the IRS has defined anything that mentions the name of a candidate within 60 days of a general election or 30 days of a primary is automatically political speech, no matter what the speech says. So that also includes things like nonpartisan voter guides, candidate debates and forum, on and on and on and on. Uh, it's, it's a breathtakingly broad definition of what would be political activity. So posting a survey that you sent to a candidate uh, to gauge his or her views on some subject and then taking the response and posting that on your website. That would be that political would activity under this proposed rule. A lot of groups uh, publish scorecards of uh, congressional votes. Obviously, those scorecards list the members of Congress in them, and those would be considered political activity too. Now, part of this is, is it seems incoherent because what a 501c4 would be unable to do and donors do not get a tax deduction for giving to that group, 501c3 groups would still be able to do, like having a candidate come speak at your event, talk about a piece of legislation, talk about uh, lawmakers' votes in a, in a detailed way to score uh, votes. It, it seems incoherent that a C4 would then be unable to do that and a C3 would be able to continue to do that. That's because it is incoherent. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say. You're exactly right. Activities that um, everyone has agreed, the IRS has agreed for decades, is are nonpartisan activities that are permitted to tax-deductible organizations would be limited to non-tax-deductible organizations. It, it makes no sense at all. How much of this has to do with sort of, I guess, the last refuge of campaign finance reformers seems to be disclosure? Uh, how much of this has to do with that? Well, a lot has to do with that. I mean, they, they, if they can make more groups into political organizations under the tax code or under the federal election laws, then those groups are, are required to disclose under Section 527. Uh, of the Internal Revenue Code, if you're a 527 group, you have to disclose to the IRS unless you already have to disclose to the FEC or analogous state agency. So by coming up with a broad definition of what might be political activity, then they can make more groups uh, disclose under Section 527. I think that's the basic motivation behind this. And if they're able to do that, then groups will find it more difficult to raise money because people won't want to give money if their name has to be identified with everything the group does. Can we draw a clear line from NAACP versus Alabama, a case about disclosure to the debate that's going on right now? Oh, de definitely. Um, I mean, the, the court, but it's not only that case. There are many other cases. There, there are cases where. Um, you know, there was a local jurisdiction that didn't like labor unions uh, going around. So they wanted uh, people who were doing that sort of thing to file with the state and to wear badges on their lapels and things like that. And there's a long stretch of case, cases, not only that, but the Buckley versus Vallejo decision on the first federal election campaign laws passed in the 1970s. And the Supreme Court drew the line this way, basically, which is if there are donations and efforts to work for or against a candidate by urging people to vote for or against a candidate, then disclosure can be required. But if not, if it's issues-related speech, then there is no disclosure required uh, because people should be able to get together in organizations uh, 
in the basically privacy and not have the government know about all their activities. And certainly the NAACP case was very famous. Obviously, the people that were supporting financially the NAACP would not want the state of Alabama to know who they were, and neither did the NAACP. Um, it wasn't, I think, just the physical threats to people who were members of the NAACP, but also financially. We, we, to this day, we don't know um, you know, who financially helped back those organizations that did very important work. What's going to happen to this rule? It seems like as, as Trevor Burris noted in the forum, he had a hard time finding somebody who would speak in its defense. That's because no one will. <laughs> I suppose you couldn't even get the Treasury Department to speak in favor of it at this point. Clearly, the IRS is going to have to modify the rule. I th there are a lot of people who think they need to go back to the drawing board and come up with a completely new approach. Um, I do think they will try to eventually finalize a rule. I don't know how long it will take them. It's not uncommon uh, for tax rules, rulemakings to go on for many, many years. Um, there's a lot of concern that the IRS will try to impose the rule this year in the middle of an election year, which I think would be a very bad idea. I think it's a bad idea to even impose the rule in the middle of a tax year. People should be – you don't want to reclassify speech you already made three or four months ago or classified because you didn't know what the rule was even when you made the speech. So. I don't know what will happen. I don't know how long it will take. But the mere fact that this rule is out there now, uh, a lot of people are concerned that it's chilling speech already because of the uncertainty of what the new rules will be and when they will take effect. Part of this rule's origins was to clarify another problematic uh, issue related to 501c4s, which is whether or not they are primarily engaged in social welfare purposes. Does this, does this rule in any way improve upon that problem? Well, the, I mean, that's one of the – there are two things that go into this basically. One is what is, what is political activity? Uh, and then two, once you know what, what counts, how much of it are you allowed to do uh, under the tax code? Uh, because groups that are primarily politically – uh, do political activities are supposed to be Section 527 organizations. So you need to know uh, the answer to the, both those questions. And we don't, we don't have one from this rulemaking. This just defines the political activity. It didn't say how much or what the definition of the word primarily is. Or how to value this or that. Well, that's another issue. I mean, the, the proposed rule says that you're supposed to count volunteer activity, and that raises a whole host of questions too. How does an organization keep track of volunteer activity? What counts as volunteer activity? How do you value volunteer activity? I mean, if you have Bruce Springsteen give you a concert, right, he's probably worth more per hour than somebody who's just uh, fresh out of high school stuffing envelopes. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't want to have to fill out the tax return that values that uh, that activity. And of course, there's no guidance under the rule about how to do that either. David Keating is president of the Center for Competitive Politics. You can learn more about the IRS's intrusion into political speech at our website, cato.org.